Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the One Link Podcast. I am Brad, and I'm joined by the host with the most, Mr. James. How's it going, Mr. James? It's going pretty good. How about you? Doing well. Doing well. Nice Friday afternoon. Relatively yes. warm for this time of year in, in uh, the Midwest, so we're, we're having yeah. a good day. Yeah, that's right. I can see the bees buzzing around outside my hives, so... It's wow, good. it's a it's a lot warmer down there then. Yeah, yeah, just warm enough to be nice, but not enough to go hang out outside. Well, we kind of left our listeners in suspense here. Hudson Taylor has arrived in Shanghai and getting ready to start his overseas uh, service. So we're going to jump into, this is part two of our Hudson Taylor series. We don't I don't know how long you and I are just discussing for this. Are we going to do three? Are we going to do four? It's just so hard to not share all the wonderful, interesting details of his life. Yeah, exactly. uh, but we're going to at least do this one, and then we'll we'll see where we're at. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah maybe just kind of give a brief recap. How did we get to this point, and then we'll we'll jump into Hudson arriving in Shanghai and what that looked like. Yeah. So he, you know, he was called to China pretty shortly after he was saved, but he did a lot of prep work. Once he finally goes, he's sent by this uh, society called the Chinese Evangelism Society. He stops stops med school to go, uh, kind of sent out. He's been, been preparing for a long time, but then when it finally comes, it comes all of a sudden. He gets there, his letters of recommendation, you know, only one of them is still in China. Uh, so he winds up, he, he's plugged in there. He's able to kind of get kind of get plugged into the community. And that's kind of, and he's in Shanghai and then this is, but, but he's, he's also dealing with a lot of financial hardships. That's kind of where the story starts out. So this, once he gets there and he's hanging around all these other societies, yeah, he finds out that things aren't quite what he thought they were or the way people view things aren't quite that. Let me take one step back, James. I can't remember how much chronology we gave here, but just so our listeners, if they're not familiar with Hudson Taylor. So we're talking kind of mid-19th century, like 1850s, he's showing up in China. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Okay. Correct. Just yeah. wanted to, to make sure everyone's on the same page. So yeah. sorry to interrupt the train of thought. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there, there's some unexpected things there in, in Shanghai. Yeah. And just to, to paint that scene a little more, we probably should have. There's a lot of anti-foreign feeling uh, in China. Uh, there's a lot of just war in general. You know, the Hudson Taylor came on the the tail end of the Taiping rebellion. So you got fighting going on in different places. He runs into that some, but, but it's definitely an undercurrent going on there. China is not a peaceful, docile place. There's always things coming up. So that's the, that's the setting. And we'll see some more of that as we go through today. So what he finds when he gets around there is that his society is kind of like the butt of some jokes. You know, it's just, you know, his hosts are gracious, you know, but they can't figure out where he fits in. He doesn't have a medical degree, uh, but he was sent out to kind of do some medical stuff. He was sent out just kind of off this rumor of the Taiping Rebellion being Christians, you know, and the, the people that they're on the field are kind of, I think they're like rolling their eyes. And I mean, I feel, I feel like if I was over there, I would, I would roll my eyes as well. I don't know if you kind of have that same feeling of, I don't know, it's like you get, when you're over overseas and you get somebody that comes in off of some something they heard and you're just like, are you? That's not reality. I don't like you. You have you have not 
you have not learned the ways of the world at this point in time. You know, it's kind of that that feeling. And yeah, I think sometimes it's hard not. You have to, as you probably remember as well. You have to kind of remember that people are coming in green, and mm-hmm. you know, if the first thing they hit is is our cynicism, that's probably not good. But I can remember some you know short term groups that came in or whoever somebody right off the plane, and like, yeah, you you got some seasoning to do because it's not like that here. Yeah, but yeah, but that's and, part of it. So yeah, yeah, th- yeah. The only way you can go is green. But you know, again, we we try to prepare you as much as you can. And part of the preparation is when you get there, listen a lot, uh, <laughs> ask a lot of questions. So anyway, he's he's kind of this oddball to them. He likes to do pastoral care. That's kind of like when he talks about the ministry he envisions. A lot of it is kind of that. But he's not ordained, and for them, that was a really a really weird thing. He's not with any specific church. His society seems to have plenty of money, but his salary is insufficient. Like they're not paying him enough and he just kind of looks shabby. He's kind of, in some ways, he's living off the graciousness of his hosts. And there's so many different lessons we could learn off of that. One, I, I think like he was being obedient and he thought he was set up with his society, but I think he might be the first one his society sent out also. So it's important to go with one, go where God tells you to, but two, all things being equal, scope out a little bit who you're going with, who who sends you makes some difference. Pros and cons to a lot of that stuff. His salary at the time was 80 pounds a year. And I don't know how much that is in today's dollars, anything. Um, but what we do know is we already heard about like how frugal he lived and how, yeah, how much things he was, he was doing without the luxuries of butter and milk. But he said he couldn't live on twice that amount. So he's living on, on like a really low end. And, and for whatever reason, like the society, just they don't seem to be thinking about his financial needs over there. And I don't know why that is. If, it, if they were and God was just stopping them or what, it winds up shaping his life. Uh, so he, so it's, it's hard. And then it gets harder. He hears, and not even from his mission society, he hears that they're sending him another family. And they don't tell him, you know, and like, like multiple correspondences go back and forth and back and forth. And like, there's no mention of like, Hey, by the way, you're sending me this family and you haven't sent me enough money to live on. How am I supposed to, I don't, you know, I don't have a compound. I don't have a house. I don't have, I'm renting a house here. So it's, it's kind of a mess. And then once the other, once the other missionaries find out they've got this family coming, then it's like, you know, why haven't you bought land? Why haven't you started to build? And he's, I feel like he's caught in this kind of, kind of hard situation. And, and for the record, if you go overseas, you'll get caught in some kind of hard situation. Um, he's, (laughs) he's caught between the rock and the hard place. The rock is he, his society isn't taking care of things financially for him. And the hard place is he can't go tell, he can't just tell that to all the other missionaries. It's like, He's kind of he's kind of taking it on his reputation, or he's letting his reputation take the hit, you know, as opposed to being like this rotten society. They won't give me any money, and you know, people can look around and figure that out. But he's not bad mouthing them. But it kind of winds up making him land on him. He just can't find housing anywhere, and it finally comes to the point uh, where he's like, okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go find Chinese. I'm gonna go to the Chinese part of town. See if I can find lodging there. Uh, he he rents a house after a lot of effort, a lot of work, and you do see some funny things in there. This is somewhere early in his career. It comes in the book like he was not able to find a a seated chair to 
carry him around or something. So he had to trudge up and down. And it's like, hmm, that's not the that's not the picture of the legendary Hudson Taylor that I picture. Um, so we can know that he has chinks in his armor. Uh, yeah. Well, but, I think it, yeah, just like the whole situation there, you know, it, it's it's always messy when you're talking about people doing ministry, uh, you know, out there fulfilling the Great Commission. It's it's a messy thing. I think for some people we look at that and and it sort of discourages us or almost makes us sort of throw up our hands like, well, you know, should we even be doing this if it's going to be messy? And of course, you know, you and I would say, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes, it's going to be messy, but you know, God works in our mess. I, I think I think of all the or I look at all these things in the Bible, great things that happen through people's lives, and all them them were messy. You know, you name them, yeah. all the Old Testament prophets and the new testament disciples and so i think you know to your point about hudson taylor yeah there were some there were some uh paradigms of doing missions that were going on then that maybe we would look back and say uh oh, they, they could use that a was... little improving but <laughs> yeah. um but at the same time we see god tra transform his thinking a little bit that mm -hmm. I think that's coming here in the story yeah for sure he winds up finding a house for the couple and himself in this Chinese part of town. But like after he's there just a little bit, he realizes like it won't work. Like he has bullet, he has bullets hit the top of his roof at night, you know, with the fighting going on outside the gates, you know, so it's not a, it's not a safe place. And he figures out that basically like the house is so old and worn down that like, there's no way to heat it, like to ever get it where it's like, it would just take too much work and effort. And, Finally, at the last minute, God opens a door and he kind of opens it through tragedy. Somebody on the London Missionary Society uh, dies or has to go back home, something like that. And so he's able to rent that house. And even that, it's kind of this like he didn't have the money. He's writing his society, trying to get permission. And finally, he just rents it. And he actually uses his own personal money to do it because it's just like it's kind of if I don't get it today, it's gone. And so he does it. Uh, and then somebody else needs part of it. And so they subrent part from him, which is good for him financially, but it's, it's harder. And then this doctor with his wife and three kids, I think, I think she had a baby on the way over there, Brad. Like wow. you've had a baby overseas. I've had, well, technically our wives have had babies overseas. Yeah, that's right. Let's <laughs> not give us too much credit, James. <laughs> well, I will say it was not a great situation, but it was not on a ship. So I feel pretty yeah. good. No well, it was how... not on a mid 19th century <laughs> ship sailing ship going across the ocean for yeah. months oh goodness i cannot yeah. imagine it is crazy so they arrive they're sharing three rooms together with hudson taylor and you know like all the other missionaries in town they come to call on the new couple he is a doctor and and again you find all this criticism landing on hudson why didn't you prepare better how could you how could you set them up in this poor place you know you don't have furniture you don't have like over and over and over and it's just a mess and hudson has thought to himself like okay I bet what they did is they sent the letter of credit and stuff with Dr. Parker and Dr. Parker's thinking the same thing. Hey, I bet they bring, I bet I'm sure Hudson already has the letter of credit. That's why they didn't send it to me. So with one of our agencies, so they could do it. And so they're stuck and they, they, man, Dr. Parker, we don't know a lot about him. He was a, he was a stud too, because it says he could have very easily with his medical degree, like he could have like went and turned to private work, private medical work, which is good work. It's helping people, it's healing people and made a fine living for his family there. But he doesn't because he, he, he sticks with his mission. 
And so he at least Hudson at least has somebody together with him, even though things are really hard, they have to be really frugal, but he's at least got someone there with him. And they, they do some open, they're able to travel into the countryside some, and they'll go on these evangelistic journeys and it's really wet and a lot of rivers through there. And so Hudson at some point in time had bought a, found a really good deal on a boat. So they'd take a boat up a river and stop and preach and go up some more and stop and preach. And at this point in time in history, there were only five ports in China that were open for foreigners to live in. You know, and there was a lot of wars going back and forth between all of the all of Europe. America was in there too. Uh, we were not necessarily on the good side of that war. They call it the Opium War. It was not. It's not like the war on drugs we have now. We were advocating the being able to sell opium to them. So not so not so hot. And in some of these, right, a little bit of a dark dark uh, moment in yeah history between China and the West. Yeah, between China and the West, and. But it does get some. It does get some openings. Uh, even in darkness, God uses it, which is just a recurring theme, I think, in life. So after they do some stuff, they make some some great journeys. They love going inland when they do. Hudson still has this call. He just feels his heart burning inland. They finally conceive like we still need a base to come back to. So they make this plan. They figure out how to build a mission compound. They send up all their stuff. No answer from their society, but they're like, surely, like the way we presented it. Like it's got to be a yes, and we'll move forward this way. And then they get noticed that they're going to have to move out of their home at the London Mission Society compound because they have some new people coming. And right about that time, God opens a door for Dr. Parker to go to Ningbo, and he'll wind up spending spending his time in Ningbo. Uh, but Hudson still feels like his work in Shanghai isn't done, and so he's like kind of once again cast back upon God, you know, like there's no one here but God for me to rely on. He can't find rent anywhere at any place he can afford. He can't live on the on the LMS compound, London Mission Society. Uh, and this is where he first really begins to get the idea like, okay, I'm going to start dressing like a Chinese and move inland. I'm going to move inland and live off, live on my ship if uh, or my boat, if nothing else goes. What, Brad, what was the significance of him taking local dress or beginning to adopt that. Well, I think it, it, um, no, I, I wouldn't say he's the pioneer of this cause you can look even before him, some that were doing this, but I think probably the majority of, uh, missionaries at this time were, they were living sort of in compounds with other missionaries with and to dress in the way they would back in England or America or wherever. So this is, you know, him starting to, to think through how can we contextualize, or this is a contextualization mm -hmm. thing. How can I contextualize mm -hmm. my lifestyle? Because he would have this whole issue of the gospel is a foreign thing. Here's these foreigners coming in with this foreign thing. And so he's trying to uh, say, you know, the gospel, there are offensive par parts of the gospel. There are things that people are going to reject about the gospel, but let's not put up any or, you know, arbitrary barriers of culture or dress or whatever to the, the gospel going to people. So I think he's trying to set, you know, I, again, I obviously I wasn't in Hudson Taylor's mind at that point, <laughs> but I think later as we see his heart, he's trying to, to connect mm -hmm. with the local people and maybe remove some of that foreignness. Yeah, I think so. What would you, what would you add to that? Well, I, I would add in that I think, I think there were, there were missionaries that would do it like when we talked about again about there are a lot of anti-foreigner feelings 
And so when they would go outside these port cities, sometimes they would wear Chinese clothes. But as soon as they got home, you know, they're back in a, in respectable Western clothes. And I think there was this idea, maybe maybe even overtly, but it's kind of like once these heathen become Christians, then they'll become like us. You know, they'll start dressing right. They'll start being civilized. They'll stop using chopsticks and use a fork and knife. And, you know, there's this undercurrent of that, maybe even maybe even an overcurrent of that. And then they would they would never, never shave their head. And that's kind of where that was like the marking point. When he goes back, this is the point in time in, in Chinese history where they had to shave their head and, and wear this long queue here going down their long ponytail. Yeah. I'm thinking suddenly well, of Shanghai think, Noon, which is not a not a great uh, cultural relevance, but he had a cue. <laughs> yeah. Well, let, let me just say this too. I think as we begin to read these stories like Hudson Taylor's, we do have this. Now, maybe some people don't know a lot about the missions history, but we we do have this stereotype a little bit of, you know, missionaries from movies, maybe missionaries coming in and they have exactly the the attitude that, oh, you know, we're we're superior and we're you you know, we're gonna dress in our way and eat our and you you have absolutely have examples of that, and and it was a major issue, but you have great diversity, I think, among the even the nineteenth century uh, missions force that went out there. You, you know, if you look at Lottie Moon, some of the things she was doing, she was trying to figure out how to connect in the same way and dressing in Chinese clothing. Now, maybe she, I, I don't know the connection, but maybe she was building off of some of the ideas of Taylor and others. Mm-hmm. So you you do see. It's not monolithic. Sometimes we want to take, take these, you know, eras in history and say everything was like this, but you've got the good, the bad, and the ugly going on, just mm-hmm. like now, you just like today. Yeah, that's that's a hundred percent true. Yeah, and sometimes it's easy for me to judge them too, uh, looking backwards. But remembering, like in my own society, in my own time, it's a lot harder to make some of those decisions. That looking back, we're like, oh yeah, that was dumb. So. Hudson's, you know, planning his nomadic life and can't find rent anywhere. And then all of a sudden this guy comes to him. It's like, Hey, do you run to rent a house? I've got a house you can rent. And so he winds up being able to rent it for 10 pounds for six months. I don't know how much 10 pounds is, but I'm pretty sure that's a good deal. He shaves his head. He starts getting sneered at, you know, and by other other Europeans who are there on business or whatever government things, he doesn't really care about that, but it's kind of the missionaries, the missionaries that look down on him. And what this does is it really pushes him more towards the Chinese. He's identifying more with the Chinese. And so he's kind of, he's getting pushed deeper. He's getting pushed inward, uh, which again, would he have done this on his own if God had had, if he'd had lots of money and built a compound. And, and I think what we see is sometimes God uses these adversarial things in our life really for amazingly good things. And he said, well, God, why could you just told me this? I don't know what the answer to that is. I mean, God says, you're too stubborn. I had to hit you on the back of the head two or three times before you're like <laughs> a stubborn mule before you finally listen to me and have this brilliant idea that you should, you know, start dressing like the Chinese people. So it, for him, it's like he, he's getting he's getting all this animosity on the not all. And we'll talk about some people. He starts meeting some like hearted people, like minded people. I think Dr. Parker was probably like minded that way. But he's getting pushed deeper into the Chinese culture. And this is where he starts. He starts making some his first chance, quote unquote, to live inland. And really, like when we say like inland at this point in time in history, this just means like not in one of those five port cities. But he goes out. The people love him, welcome him. He's got these medical skills. He dresses like them. 
And so he makes his home on this island, like about 40 miles from the port. Everything's going good. He has some people like openly declare their beliefs. They start closing their shops on Sunday, which you have to know the Chinese are like a amazingly entrepreneur, entrepreneurial people. And so, you know, shutting down, shutting down business, they really believe they're serious about this. And he gets kicked out. And who do you think kicks him out? You got all this foreign anti-feeling going on. Who kicks him out? The British. The British consul comes and is like, when he had to come back for resupplies, they're like, I'm sorry, you're not allowed to live out there according to the treaty. We will fine you $500 if you do it again. And he pleads his case, and but, it, but it's shut down to him. And so he goes back out there, has to tell them they're going to leave. He kind of has this experience of like having these baby Christians that know nothing. And now he's got to leave them all by themselves. And that's got to be a hard thing. And it, I think it was. Uh, but again, it's like, well, this is God's work. And so he gave him some encouragement. He gave him, I think, I can't remember what all, some portions of the scriptures encourage them to be faithful. He starts to encourage, you know, bring your neighbors around, start studying together, get someone, one of them, he's like, get somebody who knows how to read and they can read this to you. You know, so God is showing him some strategies, I think, that he wouldn't have come on his own. And it's about this time. He's, yeah. Oh, go ahead, James. Jump in. I was going to say, it, it is interesting God's timing in this because sometimes you wonder, do you know what you're doing, God? Is this for you sure? Yeah. I, I can remember in my own experience overseas, you know, we were laboring in this city for two years, uh, which certainly isn't that long of a time, but there, there wasn't much that happened. And then our last six months, you know, we had someone come to faith. It just seemed like things were starting to happen. And then we had to leave. We couldn't get a visa to come back to that city. And so it's like we, we're like, but well, Lord, we could have, uh, you know, we could yeah. be there. We could be discipling. What are you doing? You know, and mm-hmm. it, he knows what he's doing, but it doesn't always make sense to us. So it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, for sure. At this stage, he meets a guy named Mr. Burns, who I think was maybe involved in the Welsh later in the in the Welsh revivals. Anyway, a man named Mr. Burns, they they hit it off. There's kind of like two like-minded people. They start going out on these evangelistic journeys. And Mr. Burns becomes a, at the beginning, he goes out dressed like a Westerner, but he just starts watching. And like Hudson just gets such a better response. He gets the hecklers. Hudson gets people who are really listening. And so he goes to local dress. And they end up in this place called Shanto, uh, which is farther south of Shanghai. And uh, it's going good. They're going to set up a base there. Everything is great. Hudson Tater goes to leave for a three-week trip, and they never meet again the rest of their lives. You know, and it's like, that's so flexibility, Brad. You got to have flexibility. (laughs) It was a value even back then, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. He winds up going to Ningbo, and he's, I can't remember why he was going there, maybe helping someone, escorting somebody. And he's planning to return. He's planning to, you know, get medical supplies and come back and all this stuff. And when he's finally, all these obstacles, when he's finally able to come, Mr. Burns sends a word. It's like, hey, I've been arrested. Don't come. And uh, he gets, Mr. Burns gets arrested. It gets kicked out for a while. But he later comes back and has a tremendous, Mr. Burns does a tremendous ministry there in that place. And he's kind of like the only foreigner around there that like nobody, even with the anti-foreign feelings, the people there loved him and he was okay. And we see that echoed someplace that it can look very dangerous, but if God has prepared a place for you there, you're there. It was very providential though, 
that God led Hudson to Ningbo because in Ningbo there was two sisters, one of whose name was Marie Dyer, and she grew up in China. Her parents, I think, were I think were missionaries as well, and so she's fluent in Chinese. She loves God, and he's like. You just think about it from the outside. You watch this young man; he's fallen in love. You know, you can't you can't help it. You know, just this beautiful girl. She's sweet. She loves God. She's fluent in the language. Just all these things that like cry to you. And at the same time, he feels his call to the interior, and he thinks he's like, "There's, I just don't know how how the two things, having a wife and being called, I don't know how those two can exist together." Because things are so wild, so crazy, so unpredictable. Like, how am I going to go inland? So he does, you know, he does everything he can to push it from his mind. There's also the considerations of, you know, he's in no no position in European English society to propose marriage. Uh, he has no home. He has no income. It's, it's just a mess. And so he's he's kind of in this. He doesn't know what to do. And at that point in time, things, you know, no romance goes smooth and perfect there starts getting more another war bigger threats against foreigners come and so somebody asks him to escort a party that needs to go to shanghai and he's fluent in the shanghai dialect and so he's single and so he goes and he's kind of got to leave her back there in ningbo the city's being attacked his heart loves this lady but he's got to he's got to leave and when he's over there finally he he decides he sets okay i'm going to write her a letter and propose marriage and for those of y'all who are interested in O Harmony, this is the correct way to do it. You write a letter <laughs> and you send it to her by the hand of another missionary. That's the way to do it. There you go. Just <laughs> just for some context, that's our sort of uh, joke name for how many of our you know our our training, which is O Week. How many volunteers or students meet at O Week and fall in love? Yeah, you know, or maybe, maybe it's later they become. Yeah. an item and so we instead of e-harmony we jokingly started calling it o-harmony yeah but You're that's not... what i'm i'm telling you james we have so many of these young people that come to us and they say i'm not sure if i can go right now I, you know what about this whole finding a spouse situation and god has got us you know yeah you're going to find some of the best people that if you have a heart for the nations, if you go serve, you're going to find some of the best people that match up with you. So Yeah. The, be the best place to find a, a spouse is on the field because uh, you know they'll go. The second best place is at O-Week as a volunteer with One Link International yes. for the record or, or going on a trip. Now, you're not allowed to date. At O Week, you're not allowed to date on our trips, but you are allowed to uh, recognize that after the trip – you should probably say something. You should probably write a letter and send it by the hand of a trusted missionary. There you go. It worked for both of us, James. Yes. So it could work yes. for others. Yeah. In fact, yeah. I can claim both of those. <laughs> I met my wife at orientation, and then later we were both on the field together, and that's when we started becoming friendly. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's good. Very good. So off of our romance stories and back to Hudson's romance, he sends her this letter, and what he gets back... It's in her handwriting, like he recognizes it. And she's like, what you propose is wholly impossible. And if you have any gentlemanly feelings at all, you will never trouble the writer with such a, with his subject again, just like utterly shuts him down. And he's like crushed. And part of it, he's like, he's like, this doesn't even seem like her spirit. Like, like I recognize the handwriting, but like, how could she be so cold and unfeeling? 
in my romance life, I remember I have a very specific memory probably of like the nicest time someone ever said, no, I'm not interested when I asked somebody on a date, you know, like, <laughs> and I think that's kind of his, is it like, I, like, even if she said, no, I'm not interested, like she would still be kind about it. Well, as the story, we, we started on to uh, Hudson Taylor, somehow we've gotten into our love lives. That's games. Right. We, we, I think we're that's uh, right. heading down a slippery slope here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a, it's an important part. You can't, you can't do missions without considering marriage, romance, singleness. Am I going to stay? Uh, it's a huge, it's a huge issue. Yeah, it is. It brings people to the field, oh, off the field. It sustains them on the field. It can cause problems on the field. It's really a big thing. What we find out in Hudson's story is that, as the story unfolds, is the lady who was kind of the caregiver, the the caretaker. Uh, the the two sisters worked for her. She thought Hudson was a horrible guy. He's poor. He has no business. He's such an unrespectful person. And so she makes the sisters like dictate this letter and send it to him. And they're kind of both parties are heartbroken. Hudson has some people that he can like bemoan that to. But Miss Dyer really doesn't have anybody except maybe her sister to to share her problems. And so she shares them with the Lord. And the Lord knows what's going on in your life. And the Lord is able to bring a spouse when you think it's done. She's kind of in this thing of, she knows he wants to go back to, to Shanto. And, and she's like, I, I don't even know if I'll ever see him again. And so she entrusts her heart to the Lord. During this time, you know, nothing smooth. You don't get to just focus on your romance. During this time, Hudson Taylor ultimately winds up leaving his ministry that he was a part of. Uh, they were, they didn't have any, they didn't, they, they would borrow money, you know, to send over to them. And he just didn't think he's like, that's not the way I don't, I don't see borrowing money as being the way to go about God's work. And so ultimately, you know, they go back and forth and ultimately he, he resigns from the society. So, and even though he, there's still people there that he deeply loves and continue to be in contact with, but he's just like, philosophically, we're not together. And so now he's really off on his own. He's not even a part of a society anymore. He's just in China. He's just there with God. So he winds up through the course of things. He winds up uh, going back to Ningpo. There becomes this big opportunity there. And so uh, he and he and some fellow missionaries move back there and they, start working in Ningbo and they're, they're doing good work. And one of his colleagues is, is who figures out that this lady is really the one behind the letter. And then, and, and this lady, she's talking bad about Hudson all over town. It's like one of those things we talk about in our, in our teams, like one of the biggest things in going overseas is who you go with. Like if you have a, if you have a horrible experience overseas, nine times out of 10, it's because of your teammates or it's because of your coworkers. It's not the hardships on the field. It's not the spiritual battles, although, you know, coworker problems might be spiritual battles. And this was one of those stories. I remember when I first read it, like, I just like physically irritated with the lady. You know, it's like, how could you be, <laughs> how could you be so insensitive? So, don't you realize it's the hero of the book? And, and it's yeah. kind of, ah, man, I just can't, can't imagine it. Somehow, though, you know, they kind of figure out what the real situation is. And they feel like, figure out that she's actually interested. And they also figure out that this lady's not her official uh, guardian. So she has an uncle back in there. The, the daughters were orphaned. And so she has an uncle. So he writes the uncle, uh, the, the, the antagonist in the story. She also writes the uncle and tells him a bunch of bad things about it. And one thing 
that I admire about Hudson and, and Miss Dyer as well is that they were committed that they were going to stay under this authority. And if her guardian didn't acquiesce, then they weren't going to go forward with it. And sometimes myself included in our society, we're very like, this is what I'm called to do. This is God. I love this girl. Don't you tell me what I can and can't do as opposed to a submit servant hearted. I trust, I trust that God will be able to work this out. And sure enough, God does. At this same time, there's this interesting, interesting story, Brad. It's one of the it's one of the stories when I'm when I'm preaching places. I use this one a lot. There's a guy named Mr. Nye, and he's a very devout Buddhist. And as he's going through town, he sees this place and it's like, hey, these foreigners are teaching on spiritual matters. And so he goes in, he, he loves her spiritual matters. There's nothing more important to him than figuring out like, what do you do for sin? How do you get over there? So he listens to the presentation of the gospel. And in one night he's converted and he's, he's a known spiritual authority and he's, he's used to speaking in spiritual situations. And so he stands up and he says, listen, I've examined, you know, the scriptures, Buddhist scriptures all my life. I've, I've sought all these paths. I, this is the only time I finally found peace. And I'm a believer from henceforward. And he begins, you know, evangelizing. And he goes back to his Buddhist society and gets permission to present the gospel to them and just some really great things. But there's this point. Uh, he, he's talking with Mr. Taylor. He unexpectedly raised a question, the pain of which is not easily forgotten. How long have you had the glad tidings in England? He asked, asked all unsuspectingly. The young missionary was ashamed to tell him and vaguely replied that it was several hundreds of years. What? exclaimed Mr. Nye in astonishment. Several hundred years? Is it possible that you have known about Jesus so long and only now have come to tell us? My father sought the truth for more than 20 years, he continued sadly, and died without finding it. Oh, why did you not come sooner? And that, yeah, that's a powerful oh, rebuke. Uh, I yeah. think something we all need to wrestle with. Yeah, it it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart every time I read it, and every time I read it, I I ask myself, I'm like, am I in the right place? Like, God, do you want me overseas? You know, I'm I'm so thankful that I get to be involved with God sending to the nation. Sometimes I really wish I was there. Ah, oh, I need to be more bold, Brad. I need to be more. I don't want people saying that to me. Why did you not come sooner? I want to come as soon as yeah. I can. Well, oh. we need to keep that attitude. I mean, I, we we trust. It's kind of this tension of God is sovereign, and there, are, you know, when we're faithful, there are ripple effects, so we can be faithful here and things. But at the same time, we've got to keep a a, a willingness, a a desire that says. We want the gospel to get there, and I'm gonna. I'll go. I will sacrifice. I will do whatever to to be a part of that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's hard. I know we both that we both have our days where we have that same feeling, don't we? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. it, interestingly enough, uh, I don't want to get into too many side stories, but I had a very similar experience overseas where someone mentioned said something like that that when I shared the gospel with them. Yeah, boy, what what Tell a powerful challenge and rebuke too. Yeah, tell to me the story. That, well, I hired a tutor to teach me the language when I was living overseas, a Muslim man. And he said, I told him I had a, a Bible in his language, and he was really excited about that. He said to me, my dad, uh, growing up, always wanted to get a hold of a copy of this book. 
and but never did. His dad had passed away. And he said, wow, it took so long for this book to get here. And mm. I mean, he was very, he was very matter of fact. He wasn't saying it bitterly or uh, mm-hmm. upset with me, but it just, why well, I, I just felt like you're so right. Why, why have we, why have we sat on this? That was actually the, uh, the guy I mentioned earlier who came to faith. Mm. Mm. So. Yeah. Oh. Anyways, so we probably you leave should the salient points. We should get back yeah. to romance because romance is more, yeah, more well. exciting. And it's exciting because he gets permission. Their their ideas and their proprieties at that point in time were so interesting to me. So anyway, he because of all the situation, he can't like go present himself and propose. So even though he has permission, you know, he can't go to her compound to do it. So anyway, with some help of some friends, uh, they set up an interview, they get engaged, and they're married January 20th. 1858 and it was wonderful and hudson found it to be super beneficial it was a blessing for him being married at this same time they had a disciple named nung Kuei, i think is how they do it and he starts he starts evangelizing around there and between he and hudson they realize that this guy's kind of able to go around and start these little churches that would continue to thrive after he left and he would begin to do it and i think i think it was a a moment in time where Hudson really is beginning. And I'm not saying no one else was thinking about it. It's just, this is his story where he's beginning to recognize the power of having native evangelists, the power of what a local can do and the, and that the local can be filled with the Holy spirit. And the local can do work that you don't think they're ready for yet. And there's so many times the the best person to reach lost people is the person who just believed because all their friends are lost probably. You know, and they just experienced the reason of why to convert, you know. And so Hudson's learning these things. They don't need to go through all these thousands of classes. Chinese people can do this maybe better than we can if we'll disciple them and raise them up and send them out. Um, So that's going good. At the same time, it's like a year later, he's he's sitting at like the his wife nearly dies, like on her deathbed, and she recovers at the at the last minute. But unfortunately, about the same time, his partner, Dr. Parker, his wife dies and he's left with four children. And pretty quick, he figures out his health's failing. He's been in China, Dr. Parker, for five years and his health is failing. And so he goes back to to England and they're left with this hospital and they're like, "Okay, what do we do? Do we close it? Do we just keep the medicine part open? And ultimately, they decide they're going to keep it open. And they also decide to, to fully disclose to the staff. They're, hey, okay, listen, guys, this is what happened. I don't have the money to run this hospital. I've got enough money to run it for a month. If any of you feel like you need to leave and go take other work, please, please do. You do have to know that if you stay, you're going to, you have to stay on faith and you'll have to trust God to provide the hospital the money to be able to pay you your bills. And so, more or less, everybody that's not a pretty devout Christian leaves. And so, this hospital has some, has some pretty good fruit. It doesn't take long in a Chinese town for the word to spread, like how this hospital is being run. And of course, it becomes a pretty nearly Christian staff. And so they're praying for patients. God's healing people. Um, it's kind of a, a kind of a sweet, sweet moment in time. And it's not what he's going to do forever um, because pretty quick, his health is failing as well. And he's been in China a little bit longer. I want to say six or seven years. And it's like, if you don't, if you don't go back and get recovered, you'll be buried here in a box. 
And so that's where we're going to leave our fearless hero sailing back. The seeds have been sown here for the beginning of the China Inland Mission. And uh, I think that's where we're going to pick up next time. Yeah. Yeah. Any, uh, I'm trying to think of sort of closing thoughts here. Yeah. yeah all, all these things, building faith, building faith. And now he's going to take one of our, his biggest faith uh, leaps of mm-hmm. launching this whole new organization with virtually no money, recruiting people and, and going back to this place where he's already faced all these hardships and his health and all yeah. these kind of things. And yeah, yeah. I'm excited yeah. just thinking about it. I am. I think, I think it's important to put yourself in Hudson's shoes for just a minute though. Like he's leaving China with failing health and he really, he really doesn't know if he'll ever be back again. Like we know we've read, we've read all his story. We know all these awesome things God does later, but for him, it's like, man, I, one, I was obedient. God had told me then go for me to China and Hudson had done that and he'd done it, but it had cost him his health and it might cost him his life. And he was willing to pay that. But when you're leaving a country, and I know a lot of people that are on this, that listen to our podcast, you have left a country and you don't know when you get to come back. You don't know if you'll get to go back. Brad and I both are in that situation, but God knows. And you have to know that God is bigger and you have to, I think you have to look at Hudson's story and say, you know, again, it's worth it. I trust that God is doing something bigger than me. I think it's easy to look back with lots of regrets. And some regrets uh, are okay and it's good and say, you know, you know what, if I get a chance, I'm going to do that better. But it's it's not okay to take all the weight on your shoulder of like, man, this people group didn't get evangelized. There's no church planning movement happening among them. That's, that's not okay that you know that you left that in God's hands. Um, I think it's a really important thing, that romance, Brad. God, God has you, you get covered. Over that one, can I can't you? get over. This is this is romance one hundred and one with James. Okay. <laughs> so, like, like we all have to surrender that part to God. I would encourage you, like, if that's an important thing, man, lay that before God. But I wouldn't. I would encourage you not to make it a prerequisite. It's much better, I think, to be in Hudson's shoes and say, God, I, I, I think you're calling me here, and it. First Corinthians seven is also true, quite true, that if you're married, you're going to face troubles in this world. Like it, there's there's things you have to deal with being married that you don't have to deal with being single. It's a fact. It's a fact. God said it, but it can be a real blessing. But if you'll surrender that to God, allow Him to work, man, pursue Him with your whole heart. And if He if He has you single for life, you know that's a blessing. And if He gives you a spouse, that's a blessing. You know, take what it is and go with it. And then trusting God, I think we've seen six, seven years, his health is wrecked. Trusting that God works in those really hard times. And trusting that God will bring goodness out of things. I think those are the kind of important things to pick up. Moving forward, we'll hear, hear kind of how God goes about shaping things, how the China Inland Mission forms. And we'll see if we can wrap this up in one more episode. Um, but originally I thought this would only be two and we're kind of only <laughs> halfway yeah. through the story, something like that. Yeah. I believe in us, James. We can do it. We can be concise. Yeah, it's impossible. So, but but it's, anyway, yeah. thanks but for bearing with us. Many good stories. We hope you enjoyed the stories. That's right. That's right. Yep. We will see you back on the One Link Podcast next time.